Hello and welcome to the Film Brain Podcast, and it's a video edition because, using my conjuring magic, I have brought on a doctor of my own. Boo. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. I'm pleased to talk about Doctor Strange and his multiverses of madnesses. Yes, the latest Marvel movie, because apparently this podcast is now entirely devoted to talking about comic book movies for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) How long did we talk about Wonder Woman again? (laughs) We did talk for about two hours that I managed to shorten down to about 90 minutes. (laughs) I listened again to that podcast recently. It was (laughs) so many memories came flooding back. All of them immensely positive. (laughs) Well, at least we can say that this one is a better comic book movie than that one was. (laughs) Yep. That's the short. That's that's the too long didn't read. Yes. Okay, I will start off with a plot synopsis. This is going to probably be a little bit challenging. So, Doctor Strange, played once again by Benedict Cumberbatch, has been having some very weird dreams lately of himself trying to rescue a teenage girl. And he's also dealing with the fact that his love Christine, played by Rachel McAdams, is marrying another man. Shortly after that wedding, Strange witnesses that same teenage girl, America Chavez, played by Sochi Gomez, being attacked in the streets of New York. He soon realises that those dreams are actually visions of an alternate dimension in the multiverse, and realises that someone or something is pursuing America for her powers because she has the ability to go across the multiverse and die between different dimensions. So Strange turns to Wanda, played by Elizabeth Olsen, for help. And that's the amount of plot synopsis I can get in, which is roughly 15 to 20 minutes into the movie, before even remotely treading into spoilers. So before we do that, what is the very quick expanded non-spoiler thoughts from you? Uh, I enjoyed it. It's uh, it's always moving. It's one mm. of those films that almost feels like a road movie, but in a very strange sense. Um, oh, no pun intended, apologies. Um, <laughs> See, I was going to keep so- doing the strange puns. <laughs> yeah. I've stolen your magical thunder. Literally always on the go, pretty much. Um, the exposition, of which there is quite a bit, especially early on, is always delivered almost sort of on the move or between something. You're never sitting there going, oh... Oh, yeah, all right, get on with it. There's always something interesting happening for your two hours, which does give the slightly weird thing of you watch it for two hours and you come out thinking, if somebody told me that was three hours, I'd have believed it because it sort of <laughs> yeah. felt like there was so much in it. Do you know what I mean? Not in a bad way. It isn't like, ooh, it took forever or something, but, you know, just because of the sort of um, density of it, really. Doctor Strange is a bit more likable this time round, but he's still kind of... I don't know, a bit of a rude smart ass who's always right, <laughs> which is his character, to be fair, and he's got some sort of more rounded edges this time. His love interest from the first film is apparently around and was still a thing, despite having not really been mentioned or been a thing for literally years. Yeah. So it was odd to see that come back again all of a sudden. Oh no, this is the big important. I feel like there's a lot of the original Doctor Strange that has suddenly popped back around in this movie that has never been brought up in the six years since that movie came out. Six years? Oh! I thought it was four for some reason. Yeah, it came out in 2016! (laughs) Which is a frightening (laughs) thought. (laughs) There are whole children who sort of were barely born when that came out who are now watching this, probably. Oh my god. But not in the cinema. It's too scary. (laughs) 
we can't really mention Wanda without spoilers. Um, and America Chavez, the Sochil Gomez character, she's very likable, very, very positive screen presence, but less of a character and more of a sort of MacGuffin with narrator overtones. She's yes. kind of there to dump plot and be dragged from one place to another. That's pretty much it. See, I had very similar thoughts on the movie. I enjoyed it, and I thought it was very energetic. I quite enjoyed Sam Raimi's direction in particular, but it is a movie that has a lot of stuff in it. A lot of stuff. And I think sometimes to its own detriment, it does feel like a very crowded movie and a very... It felt strangely uneven to me. When I get critical about Marvel movies, people will go, oh, you, you hate them. And sometimes when I get very praising of Marvel movies, go, oh, you're just a Marvel show. But really, I'm just... <laughs> I, I tend to run hot and cold with Marvel stuff. There's some things in the movie that I'm not really a huge fan of, but there is a lot of stuff that I did quite enjoy. I think the story is the kind of thing that kind of tripped me up a bit with with this movie i do think on a story level it's very uneven and suffers from a consequence of trying to do too much stuff you know that's a really annoying ewan mcgregor advert where he keeps talking about stuff like for yes. expedia or whoever it is <clears throat> stuff there's so much stuff and we love stuff <laughs> that kind of kept going through my head throughout the entire movie like there is a lot of stuff in this movie but maybe too much stuff as it were the pace of it almost reminded me of star trek into darkness where it's kind of woof all this stuff happening and then you get to the end you're like oh but it doesn't suffer from the same thing of when i got to the end of star trek into darkness i start to think about it and thought that was rubbish nothing made any sense <laughs> everything was just running through it they cured death you know oh, awful. there's nothing like that you don't get to the end and go oh man you were just literally keeping up the pace of the action so i didn't think about it you know no it's it's more positive than that i pretty much completely agree with you to be honest it does feel overstuffed it needed a little bit of room to breathe in places perhaps um, and you end up, because it's always flying from one crazy thing to another crazy thing, you're never bored by any stretch. But mm. equally, it's hard to sort of have it, have any real sort of emotional resonance when you're just constantly going, oh, 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 oh my God, more stuff. Yeah, it's the kind of movie that, like I said, I really enjoyed while I was watching it. But also, I was aware in the back of my mind, there were certain things that I went, I'm not sure about that. And then going back over it, I go... No, I'm really not sure about that stuff. <laughs> I suppose that is a good way of navigating into spoilers. Yes, I, I think absolutely. Yeah, because as you correctly say, about 15 minutes in, if you mention anything beyond that, you are in Spoiler City. Yeah, because the trailers for the movie have done a very deliberate bit of deception in that they've kept a major, major thing out of the trailers which has meant that the actual publicity for this movie has largely been a bunch of quite random scenes taken from the film, but no idea <laughs> what the genuine plot is. And I think that's because Wanda is the villain, which is meant exactly. to be a big twist and surprise. And I really hate it when movies do things like this, which meant that you can't actually talk about them in any kind of significant way without <laughs> giving away a major plot point that happens early on. I fucking hate it when that happens <laughs> this must be su i've never thought of that this must be such a nightmare as a film critic it's like well great now mentioning anything about the film is a spoiler because 15 minutes in it's revealed who the villain really is wanda is the villain and that this has very much been i think the center of a lot of the criticisms of the movie perhaps understandably so so did you watch wandavision at all I did. I have seen the entirety of WandaVision, in fact, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I caught up with WandaVision right before this movie. I've been a bit grumpy about the MCU spin-off series <laughs> because oh, it feels like too. a lot of work. Oh. Like, oh, do I have to watch all of this like several hours long series to understand a movie? I feel exactly the same. And I'm getting so bloated with Marvel stuff and getting so sort of, oh, more superhero stuff. I really don't want to sit through these series. But WandaVision dragged me in because it looked so weird. And indeed it was for most of it. Yeah, WandaVision is genuinely good. I quite enjoyed WandaVision. Admittedly, it does suffer from from some issues that I think end up becoming problems into Doctor Strange and then other issues with the show I think are problems that affect how we see Wanda in Doctor Strange but I quite enjoyed WandaVision as the kind of pastiche of sitcoms that it was but it eventually developed into a darker edge. I do have to admit that when it got into more traditional Marvel territory I was kind of losing my way a little bit with with WandaVision a little bit. I kind of liked the more sitcom-y side of it than the more traditional Marvel side of it but otherwise I thought it was really well done, actually, and gave a lot of room and character development for Wanda. And Elizabeth Olsen is great in the role. She's been pretty much great the entire time she's been playing it, but it was nice to see her actually take centre stage for a change. Yeah, because very little was done with the character beforehand, really, was it? She was just sort of there... <clears throat> and did a couple of superhero bits and was sad when her brother died, and that was pretty much it. So it was nice to now have an entire series to actually sort of get into the character, and in the weirdest way possible. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about WandaVision that I think is obviously quite complex is the fact that it's based around the idea that Wanda, in her grief, envelops this entire town under her control, and so the whole series is kind of wrestling with her being hero or villain and that's kind of been Wanda's entire thing ever since she was introduced in Age of Ultron man that that movie feels so long ago I almost forgot the title but yes Age of Ultron and then in her appearances since then she's been a very conflicted character obviously she's tried to do the hero thing in Civil War that ended up resulting in this in the Sokovia Accords <laughs> so, <Yes, yep>. so <laughs> whoops yeah. yeah, whoops, accidentally blew up a whole building full of people. <laughs> in Infinity War and Endgame, Vision dies, <laughs> so yeah. she's, had a, she's had a pretty rotten run of things. So WandaVision, I think, expanded the character as sort of a hero, sort of a villain. She doesn't feel like she's entirely control of her abilities. Because WandaVision portrays her at least as an empathetic character, because she is still sort of the hero of that series there is an antagonist for her to face off against it still all kind of felt like she was kind of the arguable hero of that series so it does feel like a little bit of a surprise in in doctor strange that she ends up being the villain i think wandavision sets it up sort of physically but not emotionally yes i mean at the end of wandavision she is literally in that orchard in Mm. that hut and like wandering along looking at the blossoms then you see secretly there's a more sort of or a part of her or whatever or the her real form is literally floating in the air reading this book and all yeah. stuff's going on yeah, or oh, she's up to something yeah. exactly yeah mm. and which they directly take on from this i mean strange goes to see her and it turns mm. out the orchard isn't real and blah 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 blah. it's the big post-credit scene for the series which uh i have to admit i saw that post-credit scene and just went i don't know what to make of that <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> kind of cut her answer now, but yeah. But as you correctly say, she's she's been fighting sort of, oh, she's been doing this evil stuff. But then at the end of WandaVision, it feels like, okay, she's realised what she's done. She's got some sort of self-awareness that, oh God, this was actually really bad and I was playing the villain. It's supposed to be, you know, this mother figure, but... You know, is that the way you're supposed to act? But now the kids have gone because they weren't real and oh, you don't know what she's up to. Oh, well, it turns out she's so desperate for magic kids to be real, she's going to basically destroy everything and kill everyone until she can get in a multiverse or another universe where they are real. You know, yeah, it feels like we have we have massively missed a step here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's gone from like, oh, bad, bad, bad. Ah, oh, well, yeah, okay. Bit of self-awareness. Okay. Oh, it turns out, nope, it's completely the opposite. I'm a <laughs> mental monster. Whoopley, whoopley. I don't know. It's a bit... As you say, it feels like we've missed a step. I think that's exactly right. So there is, of course, the Darkhold. She attains the power of the Darkhold at the end of WandaVision, and that's sort of implied to have corrupted her. The problem is that so much of that happened off screen, obviously for the sake of surprise. It yeah. just feels a little bit jarring because... Where WandaVision ended, it didn't feel like it was kind of going in that direction. And there wasn't enough hints that it was going strictly that way. And then suddenly Wanda turns up and she's basically... She's done being reasonable, as she puts it. She <laughs> yes. just basically yeah. annihilates everyone. <laughs> yeah, and, and that apparently is still her being reasonable, because now she's sort of powered to god levels or something, which uh, that's becoming increasingly a problem with the Marvel films, isn't it, where everything has to be bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know, I'd like a, perhaps a more tightly focused story, but like the entire universe or the entire multiverse has got to explode in every film and they've got to stop it exploding and suddenly everybody's powers are so crazy you can't really tell what they can do. Do and what they can't which is i think it's a problem through doctor strange because sometimes the wizards seem almost sort of godlike in their powers then other times you can sort of hit them and they fall over yeah um, and I, I don't really have a idea of where their power levels are at yeah know? the limitations feel a bit flexible on the demands of what any given scene requires so yeah that, that's that's exactly correct there are a lot of uh, action sequences that involve characters doing lots of hand gestures and CGI accompaniments, but are very hard to describe what's actually happening on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you get some great sequences as well, like when he's fighting the um, the sort of heartbroken, dark home, slightly evil Doctor Strange, and they start pulling musical notes out yes. of um, script music, and you know you get the music as part of it. And it's a very imaginative and very impressive. I mean, what they're doing, I haven't got a clue, but it looked great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it, you know. But then he kills him just by kind of knocking him out of a window. You're like, couldn't he have stopped falling? Yeah, again, it kind of is the demands of any given scene, <laughs> the power levels. So, yeah. see, I didn't mind her being the villain, because in, in many ways that's kind of full circle, because obviously she was introduced in Age of Ultron as an antagonist, and then at the end of that movie kind of moved back round to the Avengers. So it's kind of fitting that she's come back round to being the villain. And I think a lot of viewers have kind of had this kind of stumbling block, especially because I came in so fresh from WandaVision, I was literally watching it up to the day of actually seeing the movie so it was it very That's much pretty was a continuation in that literal direct way and then it feels maybe slightly regressive in terms of the characterization it does because obviously you've had nine episodes to kind of 
get close to Wanda as the forefront of that series. And then it does feel very strange to have her as this killing machine. <laughs> yeah. Because that's literally what she is. Like, after a certain point, after she attacks Carmitage, she literally, that is all that she does. She, like, anyone stands in a way, death, 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 oh, death, yep. death. She, she ain't messing around. <clears throat> she wants her pretend kids to be real or to be somewhere where the pretend kids are real. I think mm. a better way of describing it. But yeah, I mean, that Carmitage scene, which is all the, like, Earth sort of super sorcerer types and, you know, all the really strong ones and all the trainees, everybody's there. And she's just like, you explode now. they really can't stop her i mean they do the whole thing of in movies oh she's too powerful we can't stop her but they're not lying in this one she really does just literally lays waste to it yeah just annihilates them just absolutely (laughs) decimates the entire lot even later on in the movie with the illuminati i mean the illuminati were meant to have stopped thanos in that reality and then she just cuts through like a (laughs) like a knife through butter (laughs) This Illuminati thing is interesting. They're basically kind of a version of the Avengers in another universe, but they're more of a sort of overseeing council Mm. of sort of clever people. And it's all, it's all, to be honest, feels a little bit fan service. Yeah. Because you've got John Krasinski as a version of um, Mr. Fantastic. Will he be Mr. Fantastic in the film? I don't know. Yes, I believe that is the plan. Ah, good. But the last I heard of the Fantastic Four film, the director had dropped out. Yes. <laughs> the director yeah. had dropped out days before this movie came out. <laughs> oh, oh, God, it was that soon. Okay. So, uh, yeah, jo- mind, John Watts, yeah. who had directed the three previous Spider-Man films, who I presume had a moment where he woke up one morning and went, hang on, I've directed three massive Marvel films back to back and I'm currently on my fourth. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, I need sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make a film about, I don't know, a sheep with a hat on. It's something easy. <laughs> yeah, just just need a little rest from the Marvel machine, maybe, at some point. <laughs> You've got Agent Carter from the Agent Carter What If stuff, where she's Super Soldier Carter or whatever. Um, trying to think of what else. There was a version of Baron Mordo, of course. Oh, Lashana Lynch as uh, an alternate version of Captain Marvel. Oh, yes, of course. I forgot yeah. that she was in that movie to begin with, because I do have to admit, I don't go back and rewatch a lot of Marvel films because they come out so regularly that I don't really have the, mm. I don't really have the thought of going. Oh, I want to go back to that one. <laughs> Not usually, anyway. Yeah. But um, no, I but, fully understand that. Yeah, yeah. Anson Mount, who is. V- reprising his role uh from the inhuman series but this time he actually has a like a comics faithful version of his costume uh yeah i I was genuinely surprised at how faithful um Mm. like i mean i've i've not seen the um series he's from but i've seen sort of the design and it felt very much like we're leaning away from the comic book but Mm. they really lent into the comic book on this one yeah he's like the most comic booky looking of almost any of the Marvel characters, I think, in his mm. way. And of course, uh, Patrick Stewart turns up as Professor X. <laughs> Literally comes on the screen. They play the opening bars from the 90s X Men cartoon series in the soundtrack, <laughs> which is like, I was the oh, that's a bit much, isn't it? I feel like I'm being pandered to now, and I don't like that. Yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of fan service, you know. The whole Illuminati bit of the film is probably the bit I actually have the most problems with on a story level because it feels like the movie stops for that whole section of the movie. Yes. 
I, I, well, actually, the whole Mordo bit in general, that middle act of the movie is kind of where I feel like the most story problems happen. The film feels like a bit of a war in some ways. There's stuff that Raimi wants to do, and then there's obviously the MCU stuff that he's required to do, and the movie kind of feels like it's a little bit in between those two stools. But yeah, as you say, it does feel egregiously fanservice-y. It feel, and this is what I hate about the... So obviously, multiverse things... Uh, really come into their own in terms of being told on screen. I mean, you have to look at Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, mm. uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, which still hasn't opened in the UK yet, so we can't compare it to that. But, oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. But, you know, we're having all these multiverse stories. And the problem with these that I found is that a lot of fans just basically use these as excuses to go, hey, it's that character. Hey, it's that character. And that's the thing that I hate most about these stories. It's <laughs> it's, like, it's not... Like, if you use those plots uh, intelligently, you can do kind of interesting theming and things like that. A lot of fans just kind of use it as an excuse for tired old mystery box mechanics. Like, there's no reason for a lot of these characters to be there other than you know, MCU fans will recognise them. And that was kind of my problem here. Like, you could tell a version of this movie where it was just one exposition character in place of about five Illuminati members. Yeah, because they all just get massacred by the Scarlet Witch with the exception of Mordo because he's staying behind to keep an eye on Strange, you know? Yes. And then he's just out of the movie anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that's entirely true. And it doesn't really mean anything because he's not the Mordo from our universe. Yes, that's kind of the problem with the, with the alternate universe stuff as well, is that obviously when you're introducing multiverse and things like that, it adds additional wrinkles in the fact that these are not the same incarnations of the characters that we previously know, but it also means we can bring actors back and things like that. So it is a bit of a loophole and... It, so the whole Mordo thing strikes me as a bit of a weird missed opportunity here because obviously Chiwetel Ejiofor has not returned as Mordo since the first movie. It's, yeah, exactly like the Christine character that just yeah. not been mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and the, the first movie kind of ended on a note where he was going to be the bad guy next time and mm. then that obviously didn't really happen. <laughs> so he's <laughs> yeah. kind of back here, but he's not back because that's not the same version as in Doctor Strange. This is the 838 version of it. So a lot of Multiverse of Madness is set in the 838 universe, whereas the main MCU canon is 616. So this Mordo is a different Mordo who initially seems to be on Doctor Strange's side and seems like he has a more charitable relationship with him. But aha, he's capturing him for the Illuminati to... I guess, try. Uh, and uh, it's a bit of a weird thing because Mordo doesn't actually do anything really in the grand scheme no. of the story. No, it absolutely just brings him over, you know. There's a weird couple of lines of dialogue where Strange goes, ah, oh, Mordo, he's tried to kill me in the past. And you go, when did that happen? That's not happened yeah. in the MCU. <laughs> and he's, he describes him as if he's some sort of, oh, this is the guy, he desperately wants me dead. It's like, it's not really how it happened. He he basically said, look, you've got incredible power, way beyond anybody else, as far as we can tell, and I don't trust you with it. And he's got good reason not to trust him with it. Because, I mean, again, super spoilers, it turns out at the end of the film, he's caused incursions between universes and God knows what, because he's always pissing around. Look, the whole plot mm. of... Um, uh, Spider-Man is Doctor Strange using his powers irresponsibly and nearly bringing an end to everything. 
you know, so Mordo, hashtag Mordo was right. <laughs> <laughs> they keep implying that Mordo is villainous, but it sounds like a thing where if you read the comic books, yeah, that makes sense. But in terms of screen adaptations, they hadn't actually got to that stage that yet. Stage yet? <laughs> no. And the whole Illuminati are entirely reasonable, but are using exactly the same reasoning as you know, our version of Mordo did. They're like, yeah, we find the problem with Doctor Strangers is they keep blowing, trying to blow up the universes, so we, we tend to kill them. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. It just feels like it stops, because as you say, it's a chase movie overall. It's a chase between dimensions. Mm. But it feels like the movie has to stop for all this stuff. And what I felt like, for the most part, that section with the Illuminati was basically, oh, here's some coming attractions, especially in the case of Rupert's <laughs> appearance. Yeah, and also, is it fan bait as well? Because, like, Patrick Stewart appears. There he is in his super wheelchair, blah, blah, blah. He's not going to be Professor X again, is he? You know, it's going to be somebody younger, or they might use James McAvoy, or I'd be very surprised because he's, A, incredibly advanced in age now, and B, doing Picard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I very much doubt when they sort of bring the X-Men into it in full, because we've only really had hints of them in this and in the Deadpool films, haven't we? It feels like Stuart's appearance is a a kind of backdoor way of having the X-Men universe incorporated into the MCU. Like, it's in the MCU, but it's an alternate reality MCU. Like, that feels like it's the kind of hand wave. That's exactly So whenever we at Disney acquire a new property, we can just slot it in because it was yet another universe, you know. (laughs) Um, Which is, is beginning to feel a little bit like nothing really has a consequence. I mean, does it matter if a character dies if you've got an it, literally an infinite number of almost identical backups? Yes. Is it like that Jet Li movie, the one where someone goes through <laughs> alternate universes and kills off the other versions? Do their power get divided between the alternate universes? Really yes. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about the America Chavez character is she's apparently the only one who can go through the multiverses because there's only one version of her. She doesn't exist in any other universe, which would make her death actually mean something, but everyone else's is now a little bit... Mm, I don't know. The whole multiverse stuff, it does add complications to the existing plot line. And I, I have read some people say that the movie feels convoluted or they couldn't follow it. I don't really strictly agree with that if you just break it down into very simple terms it's not actually that complicated it just feels that complicated because there is so much stuff happening and i just keep calling it stuff because it is stuff it's not it's not really essential for you to understand but it is stuff that you need to kind of remember in some ways like it's the it's the kind of combination of all this stuff setting up the multiverse or the MCU history that you have to remember. And then, of course, you've got the alternate yeah. dimension stuff. And I feel like the Illuminati stuff is a step too far in that regard. That's why the movie feels like it's a bit much. Is like, if you got rid of all that stuff, it would be much more easy to follow because it feels like the movie just kind of stops for that stuff. And if you don't really know who these characters are... It just kind of feels a bit like a weird detour in the entire movie. The film could have benefited from having a third less in it to give the remaining two-thirds a bit more room to actually breathe and be clarified. 
I think you're spot on there. I mean, I saw the film with my girlfriend and she's not aware of Mr. Fantastic or, um, you know, the ones who haven't had films, obviously. Or Well, I know I know there have been Fantastic Four films, but why not would this she have version? Seen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plus it's, she's very lucky to have never seen Fantastic or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, um, God. But, but it's, it's, just, it's just another room full of weird people. But kind of in the plot, that's it, because everything else that actually you know about Mr. Fantastic, you have got from entirely different properties. You've read it in comics, you've seen different films. It's not something that's in this film, you know. So, as you say, the Illuminati is a bit of a, just a sort of drop of, here's some fan service and maybe setting up casting for the future, and there you go. One thing I did think was very weird about the kind of Reed Richards thing, is that there is a very brief passing line of dialogue where Strain says, oh, you were big in the 60s. And I go, hang on, is that an indication that the Fantastic Four Marvel film is going to be a period piece? Because I think that divides reception in the fan piece a little bit. I think that was just a joke saying that the Fantastic Four sounds like the Beatles. The uh... Yeah, but there is also, I suppose, the other layer of that of, yeah, hmm. I mean, the comic was big in the 60s. Yeah. So um, it... I'd love to see a Marvel period piece, though. That would be nice. They have done it, but for the 90s, which, let's face it, went a bit less nostalgic for. <laughs> yeah, that didn't quite... St- I, I need, you know, g- give me 50 years or so, you know. Yeah, we, we've, ha- we've had 90s and we've had, uh, obviously, 1940s and 30s with the first Captain America movie but otherwise yeah it's all been relatively contemporary like well. what was the 90s one I'm trying to think now. Captain Marvel X-Men I think oh my god I'd forgotten it was even set in the 90s that's how much of that's how much of the 90s they used they were all on spaceships and stuff there's a, f- a couple of moments <sighs> where Captain Marvel crash lands in a blockbuster video and stuff like that but and obviously yeah. Nick Fury's a younger version of himself but otherwise the fact that it's the 90s is largely incidental to the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally feel. Yeah, of course, there's the blockbuster, yeah, because you've got the Samuel L. Jackson de aging. The other problem is, I've now seen so many Marvel movies, they they are beginning to coalesce into one Marvel blob in my mind, I think. Yes, that, that I do find that to be a problem. Sometimes I will watch a Marvel thing and not realise that it's actually calling back. Like, as I mentioned, Lashana Lynch, she was in Captain Marvel, but I couldn't remember that fact until I looked it up. It was a bit of a surprise to see her pop up, because obviously I more know her for her appearance in No Time to Die rather than Captain Marvel. Yeah, I mean, it is a fair point. It's so hard to... You almost need, like, a, some sort of um, massive board or something with all... you know, Like in a conspiracy film, where you've mm. got loads of bits of red string connecting films to other yeah. films and stuff. Yeah. I mentioned the whole kind of Marvel backstory thing it does feel like there's a lot of weight of that here in the fact that obviously Wanda's arc has been across several films over an eight-year span now Mm. and a lot of the stuff revolves around Infinity War which was four years ago now so that's all kind of you know ancient history as far as recent blockbusters goes but there are still major events that are referenced in this movie part of the reason why wanda is so pissed off in this movie is because on some level she does blame doctor strange for what happened at the end of infinity war in the fact that he gave up the time stone and that gave thanos the ability to rewind time so the fact that she had to kill her her lover in the in the form of vision that sacrifice is instantly undone so that Thanos can just do the deed himself and so Wanda is 
really quite angry at that, but I feel like it's one of those things that's brought up in dialogue, but it's not really given enough thrust in, in the narrative. It's there if you remember that plot point, but not really given enough clarification. It's it's, it's almost, I think it is literally one line, isn't it, if I yeah. remember? You would think that would be kind of a major deal in the movie, especially because the film, I think on some level, is attempting to wrestle with the idea of Doctor Strange's actions and their consequences, therefore. Because obviously you've got the alternate versions of Strange who are different kind of warped versions of him, but they each share the characteristic of being on some level selfish and taking single-minded decisions usually at the detriment of others. So, of course, at the beginning of the movie you have the supreme version of Strange. I don't know comic books very well, but I've I've got the (laughs) notes ready for this. But So the version of Strange at the beginning of the movie who tries to sacrifice America and steal her powers that's from the supreme timeline of the comics and then of course later you've got the dark hold version of him who is a similarly warped version that has allowed his entire uh, universe to be destroyed largely and of course you've got the the 838 version of strange who caused an incursion in another universe and then had to be destroyed yeah. by the illuminati so there, there is this entire kind of recurring idea that strange is a very selfish person and a dangerous one at that his whole thing is he's so uncompromising isn't he? he cannot compromise which is what actually kills the relationship with christine apparently in every bloody universe as far as we can tell they're never going to be like compatible because he cannot give an inch ever in fact he says as much doesn't he yes his heart wants christine but he can't have her because on they just don't work out they are on some level just fundamentally incompatible with each other I did like that uh, Rachel McAdams did actually have a fairly substantial role in the film because I genuinely thought she was only going to be in it for a cameo at the start. Of the oh, movie. I felt the same. Yeah, no, that was that was pleasing. That like that is the sort of emotional core of it for Strange going through us. Because when I saw the scene at the wedding at the start, I thought, ah, this is just going to be gone, and that'll be that, won't it? But no, nope, no, nope, they did a much better job than I expected. So yeah, I salute that. Yeah, they bring in the 838 version of her, which is a sort of a professor version of that character. She's studying multiverses, and she gets to be actually in the movie for a bit, which is a nice thing to have, because Rachel McAdams is a very solid performer. I kind of like having her be around in these movies, at least for a little bit. I'm pretty sure this is the exit for that character, because obviously that's meant to kind of resolve that plotline at very, very long last. But even so nice that they actually gave her something to do because i i i was almost certain they weren't especially because they bring back um michael stolberg who was apparently in the first doctor strange don't remember that but he was in the first one but he's got very prominent billing for appearing in one scene at the start of the movie yes. <laughs> as, as a very strange man let's put it that way not in the do- oh god you can't use the word strange when talking about this film <laughs> <laughs> He's not Doctor Strange. He's not a version of Doctor Strange. See, the original Doctor Strange movie, from what I remember of it, because again, I didn't revisit it for this movie. It's been way too long, and I have far too many movies to watch. But I remember, I remember liking the first Doctor Strange. But I thought that it felt like a fairly like standard MCU origin story, particularly because it hewed so closely to Iron Man's arc. And I do feel yeah. like at times Strange kind of veers very close to Tony Stark territory like kind of in that same sort of way yeah arrogant man who's always right yeah and has a beard or that's probably not that relevant but you know 
it does feel like he's almost become a de facto replacement for Robert Downey Jr. now that he's out of the franchise. Yeah, there is a bit of that, isn't there? Um, and let's face it, by the time Iron Man died, he was probably more of a wizard than Doctor Strange was. He's <laughs> fixing time travel in two seconds. He's making invisible suits that come out of nowhere and then their full entire suit of bloody super armour. I hate that in these films, that sort of ultra-compressive technology of, oh, well, you can't see Spider-Man's suit, but it's all in this button, and he pushes it. In fact, that's not even an exaggeration. That's literally yeah. what happens. <laughs> and suddenly he's got a massive suit of armour over Yeah, he's literally got nanotechnology. Yeah, this this now feels magic, doesn't it? It's the old Arthur C... Was it Arthur C. Clarke thing of um, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? That was it. I think they've kind of ruined... The, the Tony Stark character so much by the end of it because he was so ludicrously perfect at everything and super intelligent and it just felt like I don't know it just felt sort of barely even a character anymore you know I think in the final two movies they did actually finally give him a little bit of something to do but it definitely felt like in the later appearances Tony Stark was more kind of plot device and like he would invent the solution to the problem i quite enjoy bandit cumberbatch's performance as doctor strange although admittedly i don't think it's particularly a huge stretch for him it's definitely the sort of character that usually gravitates towards that kind of egotistical person you know that's that's kind of been bandit cumberbatch's kind of standard mo for characters ever since sherlock so i don't think it's really a stretch for him but it's not it's nice that he does bring a bit of credibility to the kind of whole hand wavy thing which could come across as being very silly let's be honest yeah that's something you've really got to you've got to dedicate yourself to that because if you don't believe it the audience isn't going to believe it you know yeah. it's literally you just waving your hand so if you feel even slightly embarrassed by that it's going to come through in your performance but no he's Cumberbatch is a very solid pair of hands, I think, and he handles the um, the sort of levity of it quite well as well. Yeah, I, I feel like he has fun playing the alternate versions. I do wish that he got a bit more time playing those versions of those characters to give them a little bit more kind of distinctive personality, particularly the kind of dark hold version, which is the one that we perhaps spend the most alternate time with. He yes. definitely kind of leans into the kind of campier aspects of kind of playing this really over-the-top, exaggerated mirror image of, of Doctor Strange. That's an interesting one. And in the... From what I saw of the trailers, I kind of assumed he was going to be the bad guy. That's the way they edited the trailers to air around Wanda. <laughs> exactly so. But no, he's he's... There's not much of him left, really. He's got the... It's the weird thing, if you use the dark home you seem to get stained fingers. That seemed to be the actually the main side effect of it. <laughs> so that was my big takeaway. That and the, um, that and the eye thing. <laughs> yes, the third eye. To, to be fair, Wanda didn't get the third eye, though, unless she was hiding it under the tiara or something. But um, yeah, he's kind of broken, isn't he, really? Mm. The, the dark home and events have kind of broken him more than giving him sort of mega powers or something, which is an interesting way of dealing with it. Yeah, he's just this self-destructive version of the character that has been entirely poisoned, and he's just, to such an extent that he that his entire world is literally destroying itself outside the window. Yeah. He's kind of resigned himself to that. It's, it's kind of Strange's most self-destructive personality traits just taken entire form of itself because obviously the the main 616 version of strange is arguably the best version of strange there can be who is still a very flawed person and then he meets this dark hold version of him who is the most flawed version of him that they can possibly <laughs> <Yeah>. be <laughs> this whole multiverse thing is such an odd one because 
you, if you've got an infinite number of them, then there's going to be an infinite number of slightly offset ones, isn't there? So I don't know. You've got you've got a universe where I don't know Doctor Strange is actually a film star that could come into it, and his films are three hours of him forging checks. And everyone thinks it's great and get all excited when he gets the signature wrong. You know, that's, this is the problem when you, you start looking at infinite universes. The ones we see are very similar to the main character, but sort yes. of have gone off slightly. But you could go in such an extreme direction that this version of Doctor Strange is actually two cups um, with a cherry on top. And it's sentient and it flies around and doesn't matter. You know, this is... Well, actually, they give you an example. They even reference it later of when they're going through the universe and there's one where everything is made of paint. Yes. And when you can go to that extreme, you've got a lot of stuff you can potentially bring in and versions of characters which would be so mad you can't sort of get your head around it, you know. Which I suppose opens up lots of opportunities for later, but also equally, as we were saying earlier, means does anything have that much weight? It's kind of the thing with time travel stories. Time travel stories require a lot of kind of very weird mechanics that are kind of hard for the audience to wrap their head around. And I feel like multiverse stories kind of have the same thing where they need to have these kind of exaggerated things and then put it into a into a rational kind of story for the audience to understand and i i do feel like calling it multiverse of madness is kind of an exaggeration to a certain extent because there isn't that much dimension hopping and i was kind of surprised that that there wasn't kind of more playing around with the most exaggerated versions of it and maybe that's just a limitation of the fact that this is live action because obviously what kicked off this trend was into the spider-verse and that had a pig version of spider-man <laughs> and things yes. like that but yes, yes, can you do Spider-Man, that in a live action space i don't know but certainly this movie didn't really test that because we spend the most time in 616 and 838 and 838 is not really all that dissimilar from our reality, except there's more flowers on the buildings and people cross the street on red instead of green, which is not exactly the most exciting (laughs) changes in reality. And and Bruce Campbell will sell you pizza balls. Yes. Uh, I did like uh, Bruce Campbell popping up. Of course he did. It's a Sam Raimi movie. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, kind of... I think that's an Evil Dead 2 reference, isn't it? Because he just basically beats himself up, which is kind of the the recurring gag in that movie. It is, yes, his hand goes evil, doesn't it? Yeah. I did kind of find it funny that uh, that's the post-credits bit at the very, very end of it. Just him yes. <laughs> doing an almost Ferris Bueller gag of just him turning to the camera going, It's over! <laughs> <laughs> That was so pointless. I kind of enjoyed it, especially because I'd, I'd had to wait through all the credits. Yes, when I was doing the podcast. So we've got to see the whole thing. You know, I wouldn't normally have waited for that. I've just read about it afterwards. But it's like, yep. I feel I've been slightly played there, and that's fair enough. You did it well. I was slightly disappointed that uh, they didn't have uh, Bruce Campbell as maybe something a bit more imaginative than a pizza seller on a street. But uh, yeah, what can you do? That's very cameo, cameo, isn't it? Yeah. Again, going back to the whole thing of. Well, infinite possibilities, infinite cameos, but then again, what would be the benefit of doing infinite cameos? It's the kind of thing where um, people were suggesting the 70s version of Doctor Strange from the, from the old TV movie. I don't think that can happen for license issues because that's still with Universal, but uh, Doctor Mordred. Yeah. I mean, you could do that <laughs> stuff amazing. if it weren't for the whole copyright shenanigans of it. But again, <laughs> to what end? What would be the benefit of doing those things, I suppose? That's a really weird form of fan service for fans of Full Moon Pictures. Is it Full Moon? Yeah, it was Full Moon. Because I can't imagine you would have to offer them 
is it Charles Band or whatever that much money to license <laughs> Dr. Mordred? He would, he would gladly sure Disney take could that money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then make 14 other um, Lovecraft adaptations. Yes. Yeah, he'd be like, oh, you're offering me how much? Okay, I can make 16 Ginger Dead movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three Doll Man and yeah. at least 12 Demonic Toys is going to be great. Where's that castle I bought? It's going to be in all of them. <laughs> Something I couldn't quite get my head around with this multiverse hopping is um, when they move from one universe to another, they mm. seem to become what the version of them in that universe would be. So like when they're in the paint dimension, mm. they're made of paint. When they're in the animated dimension, they're animated. Mm. So surely then if they went to, you know, this slightly, was it was it Earth 838, isn't it? Yeah. If they go there, would their clothes have then been more Earth 8380? But no, they're exactly the same as where they came from. Yeah. It's, it's only the visually interesting ones that make them change. <laughs> yeah. The movie seems a bit hesitant with the kind of multiverse stuff, and I guess the same way that the original Doctor Strange movie kind of felt a little bit hesitant with the whole kind of mirror universe thing that I still don't think they've entirely used to their fullest advantage in the live action mm-hmm. stuff, even though I did think the fight scene in No Way Home with, with him and Spider-Man was probably one of the more yeah. visually interesting aspects of the movie. The whole kind of multiverse thing, it does feel like that they're making sure, okay, we we have to keep this relatively straightforward to make sure that the audience are mostly on board with this. I'd imagine that's why I didn't go through loads of costume changes or they didn't try to do anything really ambitious even though I do think that is kind of a minor disappointment with the movie that they didn't try to be a a little bit more daring and experimental with it in some regards I mean there are some bits that are a bit different for the MCU we'll get into that later but otherwise it does feel largely business as usual for the most part yeah it doesn't as you said earlier it doesn't quite add up to the multiverse of madness title what i will say is that they that in terms of getting the continuity from previous movies in and previous series i do think that on some level doctor strange in the multiverse of madness kind of works as a standalone thing in that you don't have to watch loads and loads of stuff to understand it like you have to have obviously seen infinity war and endgame and wandavision but it's not as bad as it could have been because I was definitely hearing rumours like, oh, you have to watch Loki, which of course delves into some of this oh, other stuff and yeah. maybe Loki will turn up in it and thank goodness he didn't. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it is a point that keeps coming up. I do think that at this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we have quite, kind of caught up with the comic books in that the comic books have a problem with the fact that their continuity is so dense that it becomes very isolating to newcomers to actually step inside of it. And I think we're at the yeah. point in the MCU where a similar problem is occurring, where there is so much backstory for everything now, there isn't really an entry point anymore, especially for casual fans who are let's be honest, not going to retain this stuff. I know there are really big fans of the MCU, but most people don't carry a walking encyclopedia of plot points from previous Marvel films. I've watched all of these, well, most of these movies. I've still not caught up with Eternals yet, but there are still things that I kind of completely forget about because I'm human after all. (laughs) I think you're spot on there. I was wondering, thinking about this after um, Spider-Man No Way Home, it was a great film, really enjoyed it, really good sort of emotional weight to it. So imagine in the future, you go, you're 10, 15 years down the line, and somebody says, oh, those superhero films, they were big, weren't they? You know, a kid or something. You go, oh, yeah, you should watch them. Tell you what, you should watch Spider-Man No Way Home. Great film. Oh, the emotion, oh, it's just really good. Oh, wait, 
But before you watch that, you're going to have to watch the first Spider-Man film. Oh, and then for that Spider-Man film to have made sense, you'll have had to have watched a couple of the Iron Man films. Uh, you're going to have to watch Amazing Spider-Man, one and two, really. And the first one's pretty bad and the second one's awful. So you're going to have to... Oh, yeah. And actually, you're going to have to watch the original Spider-Man film. That's all right. Spider-Man 2, that was good. Yeah, watch that. Avoid the third one. And suddenly, you've got a list of like 10 or 11 films yes. you have to watch to actually get the full emotional weight out of No Way Home. And yeah. a lot of those films aren't very good. So in order mm. to enjoy a good film, you have to watch like four really bad ones, three mm. okay ones, and four good ones. And <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you right now, by the way, that is literally oh. the exact circumstance I had with my friend Alison, Alison Pregler, who does movie nights, because she's not really invested in the MCU. She was kind of turned off with the fact that it requires so much laborious backstory to get through. Fair but enough. But she wanted <laughs> to see No Way Home, and I explained to her, you really do have to have watched every <laughs> Spider-Man movie that has come out in the last 20 years to understand it. So she ended up having to do a marathon run. I think she skipped oh. the Avengers movies, but she did end up having to watch the the amazing Spider-Man films as well. So she did like a massive marathon catch-up session. She kind of enjoyed Homecoming, but she hated Far From Home, much like I did actually, because it was so reliant on the Iron Man stuff. Like she was like, piss off Iron Man. I mean, it's kind of interesting that this is the next Marvel movie after No Way Home because the movie does very briefly reference No Way Home, but doesn't actually kind of really reference it. Like, it's a passing live dialogue, like, oh, there was a multiverse thing with Spider Man. Who's Spider Man? <laughs> Which kind of feels like a bit of an yeah. inside joke to the fact that, of course, Raimi directed the original Spider Man films, but. Again, it's interesting because if they wanted to, they could have really tied it up with the events of No Way Home. And I thought that Multiverse of Madness was going to be running on from what had been previously established in yeah. that movie. Because obviously Doctor Strange opens the multiverse in that. So you would think, oh, well, they're kind of punishing him for opening the multiverse. But actually, they're not. It's just like a separate thing. No, I made the same assumption. I mean, that would make more sense on a plot level if you were thinking of this as a continuing story arc, but uh, I think that's partly because there's been so much kind of rejigging of the of the kind of timeline because of COVID and other circumstances. It does feel like a slightly odd thing, but again, I guess if you're keeping this as streamlined as it has to be, then that's the kind of thing that you don't really expand upon. That's exactly it. I assumed it would be back off the Spider-Man multiverse stuff, obviously, because, I mean, it sort of fits, doesn't it? And it's kind of a shame they don't for continuity in that. But ultimately, I fully understand why. Because that would be another film you had to watch yeah. to understand this one. And that is a film, as we were just saying, you have to have watched God knows how many films beforehand to <laughs> yeah, understand. Exactly. So, you know, they would have made it literally impossible to for anyone who isn't invested in the MCU to have made sense of the film. You know, so I totally get it. There is a very weird example of the streamlining in that Wanda is in the movie, but makes very little mention of Vision in terms of her motivation yeah which is yeah, odd because I mean, he's obviously mentioned but that's yeah. it yeah he yeah. is mentioned in the movie but it's largely about her kids like that's her main mm. priority so and it just feels very strange because obviously if we're coming right off the back of wandavision where vision was a primary character it feels very strange that he's not really prominent here or really given too much of a mention and i have seen elizabeth olsen kind of hand wave this in interviews like oh well she's more focused on the children but 
it does feel really odd because she she invented an entire other version of Vision out of her pain, and also there is now another version of Vision floating around for Paul Bettany to come back in as a result of WandaVision. So I was expecting that to pop yeah. back in at some point, but nope. The thing here is that it goes back to a problem with multiverses. So she's, oh, God, she needs these kids, oh, and, and she's been corrupted by the evil book, and, oh, oh they're going to get these kids and do whatever. And she's got access, or you know, is trying to get access to an infinite number of universes. Surely she could just now go to a universe where not only the kids are real, but Vision is still there. Mm. And Vision, yeah, Vision never turns up in this alternate reality. No, no explanation. No explanation for why he's not there. No, none whatsoever. I mean, presumably it's the same things happened with Thanos, but they kind of didn't because the yeah. Illuminati beat him in this universe. Let's not think too much about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, the streamlining, they bring the kids back from one yeah. division, and but they're not the same kids from one division. They're an alternate version. They're the 838 versions who yeah, actually yeah. do exist in, in this incarnation and wonder is the housewife she's always wanted to be. It, yeah. And she could have it all. She could genuinely have vision there as well. There's no reason why not. There's an infinite number of universes. But... For some reason, well, probably not for some reason, it is for simplicity, and I do get it. He is hand-waved out of it, but ultimately maybe that is a good thing, though, because it does cut down on the complexity and the number of things you had to have watched. See, this goes back around to the discussion I was having at the start about Wanda, because I do feel like the, the, the arc in the movie, as presented, really simplifies her as a character. And I think mm. this is why this is kind of rubbed people the wrong way. It's not the fact that she's the villain. That, I think, works perfectly fine. It's perfectly understandable. The problem is that I think the way that she's characterised in the movie is reductive in some ways. In that this whole idea of, oh, she wanted to be a mother, but she can't oh, she's going to kill everyone for the sake of her kids and wants to be a housewife. Eh, that, that, that's kind of trading in some very regressive ideas, I think. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad you've said this. I, I, It's left a bit of a taste in my mouth as well. You have got this whole, oh, mums be crazy sort yeah. of thing where, oh, they'll do anything and they've got no logic when it comes to their kids. No, this isn't... Mm. It seems like you're feeding off that a bit. And also, it's just something about having the really powerful female character, but then, oh, she's gone mad because of her feelings. Yeah. And, oh, they defeat her because of her feelings when she becomes, you know, a bit self-aware and takes responsibility and stuff. You know, she was made evil by her feelings, but she was also defeated by her mm. feelings. I don't know, when you've got a female character in, especially in a genre which doesn't have that many big, powerful female characters, at least not until that recently... It may be I'm being overly sensitive there, but it just made... I don't know. There is something kind of retrograde about it. It was just kind of in the back of my head, like, I don't know about this. In trying to simplify it, they got rid of a lot of the nuance that was in that character. And I think full credit to Elizabeth Olsen, who I think elevates that performance. She is fantastic and terrifying in the movie. Yeah. But it does. But coming off the back of WandaVision, where they gave her the room to actually flesh that character out, it actually feels like it does a bit of a detriment to this movie, because now that we've had that development, it feels largely a bit for naught. Like, like she kind of becomes a yeah. bit one note in this movie. And that's not going to be good for people as well who are thinking oh do i really need to watch all these marvel series well i mean you can and it gives you a bit of backstory but they apparently don't mean anything when it comes to the films really because it's just bing and everything's different 
is that going to put people off watching it? Like, it's the same kind of thing with Dark Phoenix. Like, Dark Phoenix and Jean Grey and all that stuff. Very kind of similar territory. I know that a lot of similar criticisms have been lobbed at that kind of stuff. These kind of storylines that, the, that they've taken inspiration from the comics from, they do seem like they are kind of, in some ways, products of that kind of era where there was that kind of thinking. This has just occurred to me that if you actually reduce the Scarlet Witch's character down, she's basically one of the most powerful beings in the universe, but mm. all she really wants to do is be a housewife. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the that's the thing. <laughs> that had never occurred to me to that. That's like the the absolute vein of one division and even this. Yeah, she like, wants to literally mm. become a sitcom wife. <laughs> yeah. In the fifth <laughs> Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, you could argue she just wants the, the sort of modern version of it, and that was a regression of blah, blah, but ultimately that seems to be the motivation. Yeah. That, ah, I, I don't know if that's right, a criticism yeah. that many people have actually bothered to address, but that does, I, yeah. I do, that was kind of nagging in my head, especially because Suicide Squad, the first one, uh, they did a similar bit of bullshit with Harley Quinn, where, you know, we're never going to be those people that presses the the on-off switch on a dryer or something like that, and then she has that f- weird fancy sequence where she imagines herself and the Joker as being yeah. husband and wife. Like, and there was a lot of criticism of that sort of stuff. I don't see that same sort of criticism being lobbed here for some reason, but it's similar kind of ideas that I just go, okay. This is what every woman wants. Spoilers, no it isn't. <laughs> you know? no. it's like every uh, woman wants to be a mother and they'll kill if they aren't <laughs> <laughs> God, that's hadn't even gone that far oh, no. No. See, but yeah when you boil it down oh. it is kind of that isn't it <laughs> oh man yeah that's, that's, that's sweeping a broad brush there isn't it My it's God. a broad brush but uh, kind of true oh, yeah <laughs> This is going to be really oh. super popular. I can tell the comments section are going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. What I will say, though, is that, as I keep saying, Elizabeth Olsen genuinely works really well in the villain role. Questionable writing aside from that sort of stuff. Again, there are kind of interesting things about the way that Wanda's characterised and her relationship with the other characters. There was an interesting point Darren Booney brought up on Twitter in response to some of the criticisms about the way that Wanda's characterised. He feels that the film knows exactly what it's doing. Quote, By the opening of the movie, Wanda has made no atonement for the events of WandaVision, as living so openly that Strange can easily find her. He knows she enslaved an entire town, but shrugs it off and promises to get her back on the lunchbox. Quote. And I suppose that's an interesting idea. The initial idea that Strange turns to her because... She's an Avenger and kind of hand waves off like, oh, I don't care what happened in Westview or whatever. You're an Avenger, so you're on my side, which is a bad assumption. And of course, his first this, big mistake yeah. in the entire... Does, doesn't movie. last long, that assumption, does it? No. <laughs> Not even to the end of that scene. <laughs> no, no, literally. <laughs> Wanda is trusted, even though she shouldn't be, because she's an Avenger. And I think that's an interesting idea, but I don't think that entirely negates a lot of the criticisms because i don't think the movie really delves into that after the initial introduction like after the first few scenes she's just all bad pretty much until the end of the movie she is a straightforward foe to kind of run away from like she is so blooming powerful literally run (laughs) yeah and just becomes more of a threat as it goes on really as she uh, abandons her reasonableness entirely you know she goes up against a bunch of heroes and just 
kills them all in the most horrifying manner. Again, you've got this weird thing of not knowing where the power's done, because she kills Mr. Fantastic, the Illuminati version. Why did I say the Illuminati version? There is no other version in the MCU. Um, by just, like, splitting his body into pieces, and then his, and literally bursts his head. Like, yeah, folds him in on himself or something, yeah. So, yeah, it's really gross. But then the other ones, he she kind of fights. Yeah. It's like, if she can just split somebody apart like that, shouldn't she have just done that on the others, as opposed to, you know, having to have a bit of a fight with Carter and, you know, splitting her in half with a shield and stuff? Spoilers. Hand-wavy dark hold. <laughs> yeah, but obviously it's there to provide, you know, exciting scenes and, um, you know, make the film exciting, which I fully understand. But maybe don't have a bit then where she can just kill somebody with no effort. Yeah. And there's no fight involved, you know. Yeah, she lit- uh, there is a certain point where she becomes so powerful, she just literally just starts decimating everyone in her way, and then it just doesn't stop until the end of the movie. And I do think that this is the exit for that character. I know, you know, multiverse, she could come back and everything, but I don't Yeah, we also think don't see the body. No, we don't see the you body. Know, we also, she also survives pretty much as bad stuff as all that stuff collapsing on her earlier, you know, mm. in the tunnels with the water and stuff. But has she allowed it to happen to herself? We don't know, do we? we yeah. No idea. It logically makes sense to end the character there, though, I agree. Yeah, because there, there is no way you can bring that, at least that version of the character back and have her be the hero, given that she has literally killed about 100 people. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but now she's got the self-awareness, you know, and she's realised that the reason she couldn't have what she wanted is because of what she'd become, you see? Yes. Mm. No, I think you're probably right, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It definitely felt like, to me, like an exit storyline, which, fair, fair dues. I just feel really conflicted about the Wanda stuff, and I, 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 I know I'm definitely not alone in that. I feel like they could have handled this a little bit better than they did. The movie loses a bit of nuance about it, and he, and I think this strikes upon the main problem that I had with the movie, even while I was watching it, is that, obviously, I'd come right off the back of watching WandaVision, as I mentioned earlier, and WandaVision gives you that time for character development and room to kind of breathe. This movie doesn't really have that. It's a chase movie for the most part, and it's largely action sequence, action sequence, action sequence. And I would have probably found it a little bit better if they just given a few pauses to actually expand out the characters, because they do feel like they they largely are there to fulfil their roles in the plot. And so you do have these kind of themes that are built up, and this kind of idea that, you know, Doctor Strange is inherently egotistical and he has to kind of wrestle around with the consequences of his actions, both of himself and his alternate selves. But also this idea that, you know, Wanda wants to... She wants... She feels like she's owed something in some way. Like, she's owed this family. She's owed this kind of happiness that she's chasing for herself, even if she's doing it to the utmost extreme and it's kind of poisoned her in some way but it does feel like the characterizations they don't expand too far beyond that yeah as we said earlier the america chavez character is so sort of minor it is almost like narrator and mcguffin and that's pretty much it which is a sh- such a shame yeah Sochi gomez is good in the role i enjoyed her performance but in terms of actually being a character with agency and things to do, she is largely there as a plot device. She is there to get Strange to other worlds. I mean, it's telling that in that Illuminati section of the movie, she just spends the entire time in a plexiglass cell. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, she literally... Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, right, she's not in this bit. 
literally. Yeah. It's such a shame because the performance is great. The characters are really likable. I would really like to have known more about the world she came from as well. Yes, because that's just in a, like an offhand flashbacky bit. Yeah, she's got two mothers. And you're like, oh, is that just the way things happened? Or is that the way that world works? Is that the way that world works biologically? We don't yeah. know. Oh, why are they wearing these weird uniforms with the star clasp? What does America mean where she comes from? Is it the country? Does it mean something else? Is that why she's called? There's all these sort of little interesting things built up and I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's not mentioned or covered. It's literally, as you say, just a little um, throwaway sequence to give her a bit of a sad backstory. And, you know, I, I don't really like to have known more about it, especially because it's the, the one universe that seems to have a unique person in it. So... That's interesting as well. I do feel like Gomez has a lot of room to kind of expand on that character in the future. I think she shows a lot of potential as she kind of grows into that role. But I do feel like the movie underserves her in not really giving her enough backstory to fill her in properly. And also, there is the fact that that character is a major LGBTQ character in the Marvel Universe and... Aside from that flashback with the two mothers and the fact that she wears a pin, that's largely just not in this movie for the most part, which is another criticism I've seen a lot that is very valid. This has just reminded me of something. Uh, It's just such a minor thing, but isn't it a terrible idea in Earth 838, isn't it? You can just be walking down the street and stop outside a shop and suddenly it will show you from your mind some incredibly emotionally affecting memory of yours yes and show it to you in the third person just while you're walking down the street stop outside a calf yeah and other people can see it because dr strange could see hers couldn't he yeah Yeah, he could she could see his and he could see hers and so the the whole thing is that you know like these incredibly intense personal memories are literally being projected in front of people (laughs) this is horrifying somebody walking down the street and suddenly you're you're walking along to what's happening over there oh it's just somebody's memory of being horribly beaten by their drunk father when they were a child (laughs) what the bloody hell (laughs) what if the memory's sexual you can't have it's it's such a ridiculous idea that sort of bizarre holodeck thing they've shoehorned in as a way to get a bit of backstory um and show it to you visually but it's it's such a ridiculous idea okay we need to do this thing but let's do it in a really strange way (laughs) to to pun has no sense to it it's one of those things where you go surely there is a more organic way of bringing across this information between these two characters (laughs) in this universe for god's sake don't stop outside a calf is what we're telling you (laughs) surely you could find a way of like dr strange finding a way of maybe entering into her memories or something like that i mean i guess that's kind of going into the kind of professor x territory and that he literally does that later in this movie hand wavy it could make sense he can do most things (laughs) this is an odd question but the whole professor x going into um you know the mind of scarlet witch blah 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 did you find the first part of that really funny which part of it especially the start because um when professor x sort of goes oh and into mind he sort of goes like that it's sort of almost (laughs) anime sort of and then suddenly he's wandering around in a black polo neck on a sort of a white sound stage i think it was off the hui point yeah it just really amused me i think it's very not funny quickly because they do a very good job of making the scarlet witch come in and be more powerful than him and literally snap his neck and that's very creepily done but just that little bit at the start some of the later X-Men movies did kind of play around with the idea that, oh, he's he's in, like, this kind of mind space. Like, there's a whole hmm. bit in Apocalypse oh, yes, absolutely a thing. where he has a fight scene in a 
version of the X-Mansion, but it's entirely in his head. But again, it kind of feels like that stuff didn't really work on a visual level very well, at least coherently. And I feel like this little tiny bit kind of feels a little bit jarring because this because that's not really been too much of a thing in previous X-Men films. And not at all in the MCU films. So there's no... Um, yeah. There's, no you know, there's nothing there it. to set it up. Yeah. yeah. So, so, for instance, at the start, it's, I mean, it becomes very obvious quickly he's gone into her mind. But right at the start, it's like, oh, hang on. Is she controlling this white thing? Is this in her mind? Because, of course, then I think, oh, no, it's like the old X-Men films. And he's, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know how that would have read to somebody who hadn't seen the old X-Men films, actually. I do think it was quite striking on a visual level. But, again, it's one of those sequences that, on its on in isolation, it works really well. But it does stop the movie for about you know, two or three minutes to kill off Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who, a character with no introduction in the film mm. or that film universe. Yeah. yeah, the assumed introduction of you've seen the X-Men films already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at the very least you've seen a poster. You'll be fine. Yeah. I do get people being very sniffy at me for making that criticism. Like, oh, the, the MCU films are getting so convoluted that you need to have this entire working knowledge of them. They don't work as standalone movies. And I guess, understandably, there is the counter-criticism of, well, of course, it's a it's an ongoing franchise. But even so, I do think it's such a massive franchise that they're, they're isolated films as themselves. They can't entirely work on your knowledge of previous things that have happened in other movies. They need to work in their own isolation. I feel like this movie is kind of the embodiment of that problem, which I kind of worried was going to be the thing with No Way Home, actually, because I knew that they were going to be bringing in, obviously, those previous incarnations into into the sort of Tom Holland timeline, as it were. And I was worried, like, mm. oh, well, this is going to become a real mess. But actually, the, the messy stuff is kind of in this movie more than anything. Whereas it's... I think No Way Home did a good job of at least tethering that to an emotional arc, whereas I feel like this film doesn't quite entirely succeed at that. I'm aware that I am sounding very negative on this because, despite the the fact that I enjoyed it, but it's only because there is so many things where you can just kind of point at stuff and just go, I'm not sure about that. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. There are, it's, I, I felt very conflicted while I was watching it, and I'm aware that I am different from a lot of viewers in that I very much blow hot and cold on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in that sometimes sometimes i can really hate installments like far from home and then i'll like the next one like no way home but you know it it, i feel like that's because i view them from movie to movie not as an ongoing thing i view them as bits I, i think we're on the same sort of level on that yeah um and i'm now beginning to feel a bit oversaturated by it i certainly won't be watching any more of the um tv stuff even the, the loki stuff sounds quite interesting but it's just i need to take a step back from a lot of the superhero stuff or i'm going to get sick of the films yeah. and there's bound to be a couple of like really really good films coming up and i don't want to have them spoiled for me just because i'm oversaturated with the whole bloody concept of it you know i am aware that the the next captain marvel movie that's out next year is linked to some of the tv stuff again so it is going to be required viewing in some in some capacity yeah. so uh you're not going to get out of that requirement unfortunately yeah i'm not i'm not gonna i'll have to read the cliff's notes on that one it's the soap opera effect basically they're going for isn't it where people feel oh i can't miss any of the marvel stuff Mm. Because, um, you know, I understand that. Oh, I've got to keep up with it all the time. I've got to watch EastEnders every day. I've got to watch all the TV shows and have my Disney Plus subscription. I've got to go to the cinema to see all the films. And I've got to keep 
you know, feeding the franchise or, or I won't be able to keep up with it. I won't enjoy it as much. But it does then create the problem, as you say, of the where's the jumping on point for new people or young people who are getting into it. You know, I feel they do a better job with it than they are doing with the Star Wars stuff because the, mm. the Star Wars now, so much of Star Wars at the moment just feels like an advert for another bit of Star Wars, which yes. then feels like an advert for another bit of Star Wars. You know, nothing exists in its own right. Everything is just an advert for something else. Where is the thing that you're advertising ultimately? Disney has really leaned into what the MCU has done, but has applied it to other franchises like Star Wars. And I've got to the point where I was so disappointed with Rise of Skywalker, I've not even taken a second glance at any of the TV stuff. And all the TV stuff kind of feels like extended universe now. And that's sort of the same way I've been treating the MCU stuff. But now it's becoming a bit essential. It's like... The obligation See, of having to keep up with it—that's what yeah, it will it eventually becomes a job. <laughs> yeah, it will eventually tire people out because the, the the sheer quantity and weight of it means that it feels like you're running a constant treadmill of having to keep abreast of everything that's going on in it. After a certain point, they do have to lean away from this angle of putting everything together to make these movies feel a bit more like something that people can actually kind of just jump onto, especially if. If we're changing the guard now at this point, if we're changing who is the, who is really the front runners of the MCU, there needs to be a certain point where we can go, that's the end of that. This is where the new people come on, the next generation for these movies. And I feel like that's the question in the future. Like, if we're bringing in all, the, yeah. in all these much younger characters now, like Miss Marvel, Miss America, and things like that, if we're bringing in those people, we need to have a point where the viewers that, are, that those movies are aimed at and TV shows, they need to have a point where they can go, okay, this stuff is in the past now. It's the same thing with Doctor Who. Doctor Who doesn't need to have like a huge recurring knowledge of its continuity because every time it does a regeneration, that's kind of an entity onto itself. It's a different bit of the show. Yeah, and you'll get nothing more than harkbacks, really, as opposed to, oh, if you haven't seen all of Peter Capaldi, you can't watch Jodie Whittaker. You know, it doesn't really work like that, does it? You're right. The MCU needs to adopt that line of thinking at some point or another, because otherwise it's going to royally bite them in the arse. One thing we haven't actually mentioned yet is obviously a very big part of this movie, Sam Raimi. Yeah, and and his horror predilections. Yeah, because the original Doctor Strange movie was helmed by Scott Derrickson, who helmed sinister and i believe at a certain point a few years ago originally the idea that he was going to do the sequel and then that kind of changed because he kind of felt that that what him and marvel wanted to do were kind of different so he jumped off to do his separate movie he's done a movie called the black phone with ethan Hawke. sam raimi jumping on is interesting for a number of reasons because first of all it's the first film that he's helmed in almost a decade because the last film that he made was oz the great and powerful which uh, oh I saw that at the cinema. What is wrong with me? Oh, I saw that at the cinema. <laughs> 2013 was a different time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe, still to this day, that Sam Raimi made that. I'm, I'm sure he was... There was an evil ultimate multiverse version of Sam Raimi making that film, or something just went hideously wrong. I don't know. It did feel like uh, Sam Raimi kind of chewed up by the Disney machine, which is ironic because he comes back with a movie made by Marvel or some division of Disney. <laughs> yeah, true. The thing that I did like about this movie is that it did feel like a Sam Raimi movie, at least in some respects, especially with regards to the direction. Again, going back to how some people feel online about this movie, uh, the direction does appear to be a bit of a dividing point in that some people 
have suggested that they were quite annoyed by the camera work, to which I would suggest watching more Sam Raimi films. <laughs> yeah, I like the camera work. The sort of you've got the odd, yeah. the odd pans and zooms and the odd angles. It's a film about crazy wizards and mad multiverses. That's absolutely justified. You know? It's very visually dynamic. It feels very comic booky, and that's completely understandable because mm. Sam Raimi loves his comic books. I mean, he's no stranger to the superhero genre. He made Dark Man before superhero movies were even really a thing. He, you know, yes. then he made the entire Spider-Man trilogy. In some ways, it feels like he's kind of this old school director coming back to the new school. And there is a lot of stuff that is very pleasingly and identifiably Raimi, especially in that opening fight scene against the big sort of tentacle monster and later on in the finale. Not (laughs) Shumagorath. I think they call it Gigantor or something. It looks exactly like the way they always portray this character, Shumagorath, which was in sort of Marvel fighting games and stuff. But apparently like the rights to it as partly Conan or something. So it's not Shumagorath. Shumagorath, everyone. <laughs> it's a legally distinct entity. Sort it's of like entity, Dr. Exactly. Mordred. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's the Dr. Mordred of Dr. Strange villains. Literally is. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the direction of Raimi. Again, I do feel like it's kind of a bit of a half and half between what Raimi wants to do and what Kevin Feige wants to do. But even so, I do think that when it is most identifiably Raimi, that's actually where the movie is at its strongest, especially because it feels like it's at its most bonkers. There are bits about it that are very identifiably him, especially because there's so many kind of callbacks to to kind of Evil Dead or Drag Me to Hell. There's literally a Drag Me to Hell moment where one character gets sucked into hell, which... By Marvel film standards, it is fairly extreme, but it you know it feels like it's still a part of that world and i did quite enjoy the zombie strange finish ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely it's it's nice that they've, sam raimi's back but they've let him bring his bag of horror tricks with him this time and he, yes. he can't go right to the bottom it's still got to be you know something the kids can watch but if it's a kid who's easily scared or is a bit upset by things you ain't going to be taking them to see this film you know it does have some proper proper dark imagery you've got horrible spooky demon ghosts literally as you say Doctor Strange is physically a zombie for like the end (laughs) of the film and uh, a particularly um you know, not like a grotesque bloated corpse or something. It's very much Hollywood zombie, but still, you know, part of the mouth's missing and it's all a bit rotten. And Yeah, uh, it's all decomposing. I think the scariest thing is probably the Scarlet Witch, though, when she really goes for it. Yeah. And when they give her that kind of horror edge where she'll suddenly appear out of nowhere and snap bloody Professor X's neck, I can understand kids being very frightened of it. There is a lot of moments with Scarlet Witch that are just genuine horror territory. I I really liked the moment. The CGI's a bit wobbly in this moment, but I enjoyed the idea that is very kind of kind of ring-esque where she they trap her in the mirror dimension but she keeps popping out through reflections and then eventually she kind of distorts her way through the gong or at the end of the room yes the reflection of the gong and she's all like the arms and legs are broken she has to snap them quickly back into place um because if traveling through the mirror has you know physically broken her like i said cgi bit wobbly in that moment there are a couple of instances where i think the cgi isn't quite up to the par we'd usually expect from these movies but i i really liked that image despite that fact it has what i would describe as kind of having a slapstick ghoulishness about it very evil dead 2 in some ways where Mm. 
you mentioned the kind of musical notes battle where they're literally doing notes from I think it's Snow White at one point. It's that kind of Three Stooges-esque kind of exaggeration comic edge to make them palatable for an MCU audience. And the horror stuff felt very in place. It didn't feel like you were lurching between, oh, fun comic book, lighthearted stuff. Oh, suddenly it's awful. Oh, suddenly it's nice again. It all felt, you know, all part of a cohesive whole, which is quite a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's impressive. It, it does a better job of that than I think Shazam, which I mean, I like Shazam, but mm. the horror monsters in that kind of feel like another part, almost yeah. from another film or something. And it kind of, the tone varies wildly when they're in, whereas this is more even. It feels more sort of organically constructed. Yeah, it feels more one than Shazam did, because Shazam kind of felt like a family-friendly movie, apart from when the horror movie director did the horror movie stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's literally it, yeah. I think Raimi has a lot of experience with that, because he's he did that a lot in the Spider-Man movies. I mean, there is that famous surgery room sequence in Spider-Man 2, a movie which in the UK was given a PG certificate. Yes, <laughs> <Because>, yeah. <laughs> What helps is that a lot of the violence in the movie is v- extremely fantastical. It's not even remotely realistic what's going on, which adds to that cartoony sensibility about it. But also, it doesn't feel like it's realistic in any real way. It's not like people are, st- are stabbing yeah. each other. It it kind of it feels visceral in an impactful way because it's surprising. But in terms of visual detail, it's just relatively discreet. I mean, in a PG thirteen horror movie of which there are plenty it feels right at home in that sort of thing the only thing i was thinking while i was watching it was going this is treading very close to the borderline of where is a movie a 15 certificate and where is a 12a certificate in the uk because obviously a lot of pg-13 horror movies are 15 certificates over here because of the horror elements kind of tipping them over i was just thinking i was just trying to think of the more sort of um visceral death so to speak i mean it's the neck snap i suppose is the most realistic in the, in the sense of that there's no I mean, it's not a realistic thing to do but there's no sort of cgi or anything on that bit is it she comes out of nowhere it's a physical attack bolt's um, head exploding that's exactly what i was gonna say yes basically she removes black bolt's mouth as he can disintegrate people with his voice in fact, i think he doesn't have any control over it um and as a result, he tries to talk when he's got no mouth and it's just head bursts at the back. Yeah, he, he's... I oh. have no mouth and now I must scream and blow my own yes. head off. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of the same thing happens to Mr. Fantastic. His head pops at the end, doesn't it? Yeah. Agent Carter's, I suppose, is the most extreme... Of, yeah, um, she gets bisected, the, the, but there's yes. no visual detail, really. This is it. It's, it's all implied. Yeah, yep, there's a implied, bit of blood so, on the shield. Yeah. That's the most amount yeah. of gore. And then you see her ah, and fall over, but you don't see her from like anywhere near the wound. You know? And in that whole sequence, of course, Wanda is covered in what looks like blood, but is actually black oil from the Ultron robots that the Illuminati use. You know, it's that kind of it's not blood, it's oil kind of working around that they do all the and, time. In yeah, but it, it does kind of just look like very dark blood in certain scenes. You know, that's it works. It works very well. Yeah. Way. The other moment that really felt very Raimi-ish to me was obviously the whole stuff with alternate Wanda and the kind of possession angle. It's kind of interesting that we see that sequence from the main universe Wanda point of view where she's literally a spirit in this household trying to attack this alternate version of Wanda. That is probably the most most kind of domestic and realistic the kind of fantasy threat in the movie ever takes it's it's that kind of moment that probably would have tipped it that and the bit where the dark hole doctor strange gets impaled on the fence 
Yes, I've forgotten that. Yes, of course. Yeah, falls out the window and does not land well. Yeah, that is the sort of moment where it kind of gets a little bit close to... I don't know if this was 12A or 15. Like, I can definitely tell this was a kind of like a borderline call in some respects. And it was kind of interesting because when I saw the movie there, I was sat in front of two fairly young girls that were probably like 8 or 10 years old at the most it was kind of interesting to see their reactions because i kind of thought as i was walking i'm not sure parent that you've kind of appreciated what film this is gonna be (laughs) yeah because i mean why would you as well because there's been so many marvel films and they're all of a similar tone aren't they so Mm. i can fully understand a parent just assuming it's going to be the same yeah it's kind of interesting seeing the response to the kind of horror stuff because i don't really think it's all that dissimilar to some other marvel entries i mean obviously james gunn another horror filmmaker made Guardians of the Galaxy those occasionally have some quite squishy moments in them there is some horrible moments in Infinity War a movie where half the universe gets killed at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) but in a a very antiseptic way yes but it's not like Marvel films don't have a precedent for occasionally getting a little bit dark I think it's the fact that it's such it's a part of the core of this film isn't it not only is there a lot more of it but it's kind of the tone of it too Um, yeah but I think you're right. The only thing that could be proper upsetting, I think, for the general children are when the Scarlet Witch is in the house after them. Because at other times it's happening in some sort of crazy big building or some insane other dimension and, you know, there's no real aspect to it. But now there's literally two kids in their house where they live with terrified what the scarlet witch has become smashing their mum up you know yeah i can understand the bbfc raising an eyebrow that one put it that way there were a couple of little moments where i did hear some audible reactions from behind me when when the creature at the start gets its eye ripped out oh yeah (laughs) yeah i think that was the first moment that parent might have had a a little bit of a regret (laughs) bringing quite so young kids in there but i do remember just hearing a Ew. <laughs> right from my Because <laughs> that is something that would have had a discretion shot before, wouldn't it? You would have seen the thing going towards the eye, and then it would have cut away, and oh, yeah. and then it would, you'd have seen the thing collapse. But no, you see it going to the eye, and the eye <laughs> be torn out and go flying off. See, you know? it's, not, it's not a human, so you can be super graphic with it. Just, yes, exactly. Yeah. The other moment was, of course, the head-bursting scene, where, and... Almost, I did have to avoid laughing at that moment because literally, when he crashed onto the ground, the girl went, "Ew!" <laughs> Just that perfect way of timing. She's not wrong. Yeah. The whole content of Doctor Strange has caused this weird controversy that I think was started by Variety's film critic of all people. Oh. Normally, when I hear about these kind of MCU controversies, which aren't actually controversies, then it's normally me going, oh, we're someone who's very young, who hasn't really seen a lot of movies, and so the fact that this MCU movie is doing something a little bit different kind of feels a bit alienating. Whereas this, it was actually started off by a film critic going, I think this movie should be R-rated. You know, no, not really. <laughs> This is, there no, is precedent for this. If that is R-rated, an awful lot of things would become R-rated. Yeah. You know, why on earth would you... No, that seems ridiculous to me. It's kind of a tougher movie by MCU standards, but MCU mm. movies are not usually top, topping the end of PG-13 territory, and there are a lot of PG-13 comic book movies that trade in exactly the same kind of territory as this did. Um, I was thinking of the Del Toro Hellboy movies. Very similar Mm. to this. Um, Days of Future Past, 
similar in content in terms of annihilating characters in horrible is, ways. Yeah. I suppose the thing they're complaining about ultimately is there's not much precedent for it in the MCU. And I suppose they're thinking, oh, well, if the parents have seen all these films that are all similar tone, there should have been big warnings on this one that it's darker or something. But to say it should be R-rated is ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely ludicrous. I mean, it's almost on the same level as Morbius, which did get a 15 certificate a few weeks ago. Of course, the difference is that this movie actually got a controversy because people saw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, kind of PG-13 horror-influenced superhero movie kind of tripped a little bit over the edge into 15, but only just about. So it's very much kind of like a knife edge with that sort of thing. But I think that Raimi knows what he's doing. I mean, this is this is the guy that made the famous video nasty Evil Dead. He could push yes, it if yes. he really wanted to. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of his first films, for God's sake. You know, he knows where he's coming from. <laughs> but again, I think it's interesting that we are seeing a lot of horror-influenced superhero films in recent memory. The genre's always kind of been a little bit adjacent to that. There's always been kind of like body horror elements and things like that. But it feels like there's more of a kind of, like, kind of push into that with things things like New Mutants and Morbius and so on and so forth. I would be interested to see what Scott Derrickson wanted to do with Doctor Strange. It's not like they kind of went away from that when they did this movie, but I'd imagine it would have been executed in a very different way. Is it this thing of superhero films are just becoming all the films? There's <laughs> yeah. horror superhero films. There's comedy superhero films. Actions. Are we going to have a romance superhero film before too long? That would be interesting. I would I would be interested to see if someone actually tackled that because I do think we're kind of seeing a bit of rom-com return after the, being a genre that no one has touched for years on end because yeah. they turned awful at some point. You know, horror's having a real resurgence right now. I think that rom-com could be the next big genre resurgence and if that happens, we could end up seeing that. I can't think of a lot of uh, superhero rom-coms aside from my super ex-girlfriend. Who wants to remember that movie? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, no, nasty. Um, <laughs> really nasty. Um, I mean, I suppose you could argue there are rom a lot of rom com elements in mm. WandaVision, but they're kind of there for a very specific reason. I mean, yeah. it's not not played simply, shall we say? That sort of romantic chemistry has always been part of like several superhero movies, but it'd be interesting to see it really pushed into the forefront. Let's just hope we can still have films that aren't superhero films that still yes. get a decent amount of budget behind them. You know, we don't everything to become that. I think it's very important to say that if you don't like MCU movies, there are plenty of other movies that are not MCU or <laughs> yes. DC movies don't that worry, do folks. exist. Please, please watch and support those movies. They are going through a little bit of a tough time instead of spending all your time ranting about how Marvel is poisoning the entire world, which might have some valid criticism behind it, but mostly seems like a way of just shitting on people for, for liking superhero films. <laughs> they like films I don't. Therefore, I must say the films are bad. I mean, none of these, even if you pick your least favourite of the MCU films, none of them are ever badly made. And they always shine on performance. It's so rare you get even like an average performance in an MCU film. They're so on it. You know, the actors are always good. I'm sure the director's on it. And everybody does puts the work in. When you've got something as inherently daft as the sort of superhero and superpower stuff, you've got to really commit to it to make it work. So maybe that helps matters. But the fact remains, 
they're always of a decent standard. You're never going to go watch um, an MCU film and come out thinking, that was absolutely abysmal. Oh, the effects didn't work. They've never reached that point for me. Not yet, anyway. But certainly the MCU has been very consistent in terms of quality, at the very least. I mean, there are obviously ones that are better than others, but I do think that sometimes the detractors do like to imagine that every single MCU movie is, say, Thor the Dark World, which, um, that's not really true. (laughs) (laughs) That's my least favourite. That is my least favourite of them. Although, I should point out, I haven't seen The Eternals, so... uh, Far From Home is my least favourite currently. I just thought that did so much damage to Spider-Man as a character, because it really leaned into the Iron Man stuff, and I just thought, "Mm." didn't like that. I kind of... felt like that with um homecoming because he yeah. spends half the film moping about because he can't talk to tony stark but even i would say you know far from home it's still like a competently well-made movie i just think that it has story problems but on a technical level like it's still like leagues above the disasters like fan force tick and things like that so Oof. yeah God. <laughs> but yeah, this whole, this whole idea that Marvel movies are anonymous and things like that, that's not really true. You look at movies that are, say, directed by James Gunn, Sam Raimi, the Russos definitely added a kind of vibe to several of their Captain America and later Avengers movies. Yes, there are some MCU filmmakers that are a bit more workmanlike, like John Watts. I don't think he added a particularly visual flair to the Spider-Man movies, and maybe that might be something they want to do going forward. But even so, I do think that the MCU has largely, by and large, been fairly successful as a creative endeavour, and I, I feel like there is still potential in this universe i just think that they need to rein in all this crazy super linking of everything because otherwise it's just gonna become this huge weight on these movies i've kind of been saying this on off i kind of feel like you know like wily coyote as he looks up to see the shadow of something that's about to crush him (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing isn't it it's the creation of this universe the interlinking which has got everyone invested and they're fully aware of that and they're doubling down blah blah blah, and it's been incredibly successful and continues to be incredibly successful but if they're not careful it will reach a point where there's too much of it people will get a bit sick and because everything is intertwined suddenly they're sick of everything yes you know they won't won't be placated by saying, hey, next film's a Taika Waititi one, it's going to be funnier, it's going to be more massive, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, I can't, can't be doing it. No. Again, Taika Waititi, yeah. another MCU director who actually put his own stamp on the material. So, yeah. If, that's the thing, isn't it? If somebody's, oh, all these MCU films are the same, right, well, show them Multiverse of Madness and show them Ragnarok and say, right, which one of these was directed by Taika Waititi? If they're all the same, you won't be able to tell. Yeah, exactly. Because you bloody will immediately. There is undeniably a house style, but there is also Mm. definitely room for directors to leave their own stamp most of the time. Yes. So on that note, I think it's time to wrap things up. So where can people find you? They're just Google Ashens, A-S-H-E-N-S. Uh, if you want to support my channel, you can do so with my Ko-fi page or with YouTube's brand new Super Thanks feature, which is right below the video. You can now tip me in the comments. Woo! Or if you can give me a little bit more long-term support, you can do so on Patreon, where you can see my videos early, among other perks, including access to my Discord server. But until next time, I'm Matthew Buck, fading out. 
Thank you for listening to the Film Brain Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that if you want to support my work, be it podcasts or YouTube videos, please go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash filmbrain where you can experience those episodes early, among other perks. And just a quick shout out to my Patreons, Tim Poppleton, Henry Jacob, Jonah Gustafson, Harry Baker, Vincent Chiang, Ina Civic, Colin M. Cherry, Misty, Rachel, Tom Oliver Maddox. And remember, if you have any feedback about the show over social media, please use the hashtag FilmBrainPodcast.